Well, good morning. Uh, my name is James Frickton, and thank you for attending this session. Um, I'm hoping to uh, illuminate you a little bit about orofacial pain conditions, which includes headache, which is the number one reason people go uh, to the doctor. And so um, we're going to cover a variety of topics. Uh, appreciate uh, you being here. Feel free to make comments or ask questions as we proceed through this, too. Um, and now one of the questions I have, is this all health professionals or there, I know there's some people who are health professionals with pain, but is there any patients or people who have pain conditions here also? It's all health professionals then. Okay, okay, great. Um, um, I'm, at, I'm from the University of Minnesota. I also have a private practice. Um, I'm a professor there in the Minnesota Head and Neck Pain Clinic, so I see patients for the last 40 or so years uh, in my clinic as well as at the university. I also do research with the Health Partners Institute for Education Research. We have developed a variety of very innovative programs that really help pain patients uh, train, and I presented this morning at 7 a.m. Uh, about the a campaign that we're doing on preventing chronic pain and some of the the tools that are available, online tools that are available for patients and health professionals as well as employers. I also happen to be president of the International Myopain Society. Uh, this is a very interesting, smaller organization, not well known outside of uh, uh, the group, but our focus is really on soft tissue pain, which I have another presentation this afternoon on that at 540. And it is the number one physical problem that we see in our clinic as causing chronic pain. And it's something that uh, if you're interested, uh, I would suggest attending that lecture also. Um, I don't have anything to disclose, uh, no off-label use of, of drugs. Uh, so the learning objectives for this particular presentation is that we will talk about a little bit about the dilemma of chronic orofacial pain. We'll talk about three different red, we call them red flag cases, cases that you see in primary care, both medicine and dentistry that you need to know about, and then explain some of the diagnostic and treatment challenges of oral facial pain conditions. And so it's important to understand that these conditions, uh, not just headache, but jaw pain, earaches, and I'll go through some of the symptoms, are things that are frequently undiagnosed. Very difficult to diagnose to some extent because there are so many, there's high, high degree of innervation within the jaw, within the face, within the teeth. It's very difficult to sort out where the pathology is coming from. Now, with that said, most of the patients are myofascial pain, muscle pain. However, there are so many different underlying pathologies that we'll talk about that can all cause pain. And unfortunately, what happens frequently is trial and error treatments. And so patients come in, they have pain in the teeth, the jaw, the face, the head. They're wondering what's going on. They go to the dentist. The dentist says, well, uh, this tooth up here is causing your pain. So they do a root canal there. Oh, that didn't work. The pain didn't go away. So then you got to go to this tooth, and then this tooth, and then this tooth. And pretty soon, all the teeth are hurting, and root canals are done. And and they do a lot of trial and treatment. And what's surprising in this case, this is one of the cases I saw about 10 years ago or so, and she presented this. She says, I want you to fix me. Uh, well, so what's surprising is they left two teeth without doing root canals. Now, of course, those two teeth are normal, but all the teeth were normal. The pain didn't go away with these root canals. So trial and error treatments is something we cannot do. We have to find out what the cause of the pain, what's the physical problem, and the causes of things that are contributing to it. And many times, it's attributed to other reasons, too. As it says, it's as I suspected, Mr. Harding here, is possessed by demons causing the pain. <laughs> so frequently, patients will come in, and, and it's a diagnosis as a tooth abscess, or a sinus condition, or ear infection when in actuality, give them antibiotics, doesn't go away. And so there's a lot of misdiagnosis as well as often attributed to other conditions. And so there are many risk factors that contribute to it. One of the focuses this morning I talked about was that 
how important it is to say to the patient, we're happy to treat your condition once we figure out what's causing, what's the diagnosis, but it's also very important to treat the cause, to train you on reducing the causes because these are all, almost always lifestyle factors that play a role. So you do treatment with training and that's the whole model behind transformative care. If you want to transform the patient from an ill patient with chronic pain over a period of time to one that has, that's promoting health and well-being, you have to do treatment and training, so two T's. And I also throw in a team there too because you can't do the training alone. It takes a team to really train the patient to do this. And so these are some of the risk factors for oral facial pain from chewing, excess chewing, stress, sleep disorders, anxiety, anger, confusion, secondary gain, joint hypermobility, malocclusion, dental trauma, oral habits like clenching, grinding, and it just goes on and on. There's probably a hundred, there's a hundred or so identified risk factors for different oral facial pain conditions. And the history and the diagnosis of these is very complex, it can be very complex. I mean, it might be simple, but you can see the array of symptoms that are presented to us within our orofacial pain clinic. From head pain and headaches to ear pain and all the different hissing, buzzing, ringing, decreased hearing, jaw problems, kick, clicking, popping jaw joints, neck problem, lack of mobility, throat conditions, lack of uh, swallowing difficulties, laryngitis, sore throat without any infection, clenching problems, tooth pain, mouth discomfort, can't find their bite. There's just on and on and on. And of course, somebody presents to you in the clinic with all of these symptoms, the first thing that most clinicians think is somatization. It's not somatization. They have a physical problem that happens to have high innervation in the area. And, and it's not excessive awareness or or focus on their symptoms. It's because these are the characteristics of these particular syndromes. So progression is, is particularly if we use a biomedical model that treats patients alone, progression is common. Uh, that means you, and, and so here's the pain onset here. It may occur with trauma, strain, injury, or maybe out of the blue. Um, and when, you, when it progresses, it starts out acute. I say acute up to six months, but actually that's probably more like one month. It's truly acute. And then there's muscle tension, postural habits, behaviors. These are risk factors, stress, anxiety, sleep problems. And as it becomes more chronic and intractable, many other depression, disability, social factors play a role. And that the peripheral to peripheral sensitization progresses onto a central sensitization, and then you have really multiple comorbid conditions that are associated with these patients. And it's not unusual that these that the patients that I see have not only orofacial pain, but they have headaches, they have neck pain, they have back pain, they have multiple fibromyalgia, and potentially other symptoms and conditions also. So patients become complex when acute becomes chronic. And this is the average what we have in our clinic. So the number of previous clinicians they've seen is 4.5. They've had about four years of pain. They've spent out of pocket $4,000. Most of them have multiple diagnoses and most of them have psychosocial problems. And so you think, well, what do we, how do we manage these patients uh, with orofacial pain? And Medications, unfortunately, uh, have not been our panacea, necessarily. Uh, they do help, and, and we use medications on a regular basis, but we make sure the patient understands that this is relatively short-term, with the exception of some symptoms like neuropathic pain, trigeminal neuralgia, which uh, some of the anticonvulsant medications do work quite well. Um, but often the medications, uh, this is what patients report, took too long, did not relieve all the pain, did not always work, pain returned. They came with a lot of side effects. And sometimes the side effects are worse than the original pain that they came in for, since I feel a lot better since I ran out of those pills that you gave me. Um, and there's a lot of orofacial pain that can result from dental treatment. In fact, in our clinic, we found that 31% of the, 
of the jaw pain patients that presented to us started in the dental chair. Now, you're not, how many dentists do we have here? Is there any dentist? All right. It's hard to do dentistry. You have to have the patient open wide for a long period of time to get to the molar teeth to do a filling crown or any other root canal or whatever. So when you're doing that, it's very easy to strain the jaw, strain the muscles, strain the jaw joint. And so that's why our jaw pain patients, 31%, and persistent jaw pain after third molar extraction, 23%. So all our young teenagers, young adults getting third molar extractions, the surgeons have to be very, very careful. And they don't have any clue. So patients need to be t telling their, their surgeon, you know, be careful with my jaw because it's sensitive. This is a very sensitive area. It's very easy to trigger orofacial pain. The, uh, we did an epidemiological study of, of nur young nursing students at the university to see, well, what is the prevalence in a, in a younger student population? And we found that 60% of the nursing students had a TMJ problem, and that's not including headache or other orofacial pain. And that included clicking, popping in the jaw, jaw pain, earaches, difficulty uh, chewing. They met the criteria. So it's a very common problem, like back pain, like headaches, like neck pain. And so what we've done over the years in dentistry is we've set up graduate programs. So we have about 15 graduate programs around the country that to teach dentists how to specialize in this area. And uh, we have about three, 300 full-time practices limiting their care to simple to complex oral facial pain disorders. So if you have patients who have these conditions, look for somebody through the American Academy of Oral Facial Pain to manage. We've done lots of research. We've had a lot of federal funding uh, in different the institutions around the, the United States. We've published, we have a journal of oral facial pain and headache, and we've done a lot of systematic reviews, and I'll talk a little bit about those. And we have uh, graduate programs, uh, as I mentioned. And so uh, my practice is a multi-specialty practice uh, that we provided interdisciplinary, integrated, multi-specialty diagnosis management. We have uh, physicians, uh, uh, pain specialists, dental pain specialists, psychologists, physical therapists. We work together with a comprehensive team to really implement transformative care. Transformative care, remember, is training with treatment. So you have to train the patient in reducing the risk factors that are causing the pain. And uh, we integrate evidence-based biomedical treatments with extensive self-management training. And, and we find that it actually reduces or eliminates the pain in some situations. I, I was just telling somebody that I, every day I get, a, I get hugs from my patients because they, they are so happy to be not just have their pain alleviated, and I always tell them, we'll turn the volume down on the pain, but we don't have an on-off switch. But many of these patients, actually, it's, it resolves. Once they reduce the factors that are contributing to the pain, causing the pain to continue, the pain actually improves. Um, so there are a variety of different diagnostic dilemmas that are important to know about. For persistent facial pain, differential diagnosis. This is one of the confusing aspects about this. When somebody comes in with facial pain, what's caused, what's the diagnosis associated with it? And of course, there is the complex pain patient. How do I identify and manage these complex pain patients with oral facial pain? And this is something that's a take home, also very important, is that when you do have an acute jaw strain, what can you do in your physician offices or healthcare professional offices to manage acute jaw joint or muscle sprain strain. And this is uh, the way chronic pain starts is generally through this mechanism. So let me go through a couple cases here. One is uh, painful divorce. So Thomas, a 27-year-old male business executive presented with chief complaint of pain in multiple teeth on the maxillary side for the past three months. Hurts to chew on the right side, persistent jaw pain, and headaches also. So the chief complaint is the teeth, but also has the jaw pain and headaches. And so it came on after a lot of stress, he was going through a divorce. All the radiographs were normal. 
There was no decay, no peritoneal problems, a little bit of gingivitis. Tooth number three, four, and five were very tender, so that's the upper right side. And normal reaction to pulp testing, though. So it was not a pulpitis. However, the muscles are, were tender to palpation, no referral to the teeth. There was a lot of stuff. What would you do in a situation like this? And I'll talk about it a little bit. So the first thing is let's get a diagnosis. What are the options that we have? And this is the decision tree that I use for oral facial pain. Of course, you do a history of teeth complaints. And then you've, you want to rule out intracranial problems. And I'll go through a, another case Sometimes the pain in the face is secondary to a brain tumor or some other intracranial lesion. Got to rule that out or feel comfortable that that's not the diagnosis because that's a more serious uh, condition. And then you want to rule out any extracranial or dental disorders. I mean, you do still need to rule out sinus, inner ear infection, dental pathology, dental abscesses, infections in the teeth, and those things that are, are really infectious or obstructive, or any type of tumor within the face also. Then you want to consider the possibility of, of, is it a muscle, joint, vascular problem, neurovascular, or neuropathic disorder? So that's, those are the four major, 95% of my conditions that I see are related to those four conditions. And then, of course, there's always a possibility that it has more of a psychiatric overlook, you know, uh, diagnosis, but rarely does that ever occur. And so, patients, this is the, the consecutive patients in our clinic. This is the end physical diagnosis causing the pain. So, in most of the cases, this is just a 35 patients with persistent tooth pain out of 493 patients. This is 35. This is the percentage. So, the people who had tooth pain figuring out, well, what is the physical pathology associated with this tooth pain? And it turns out that myofascial pain, referred pain from the muscles of the jaw or the temples, referred pain to the teeth. They felt the pain in the teeth, but it was coming from the temples in the jaw. Very confusing diagnosis. This is why you get root canals over and over and over again, because if it's in the muscles and you do a root canal, it's not going to resolve the pain. Pardon? Sinuses, usually that's treated. We only had one case that we found of a chronic sinusitis that was not diagnosed prior to getting to us. So this is persistent jaw pain. So sinuses, very common, and abscesses, but those are generally ruled out prior to sending them to our, a, a pain <laughs> clinic. And, and that's the good thing. But there are still cases of sinusitis that are missed, or candidiasis, or neuropathic pain, or referred pain from other teeth. So there's an abscess in an adjacent teeth, but it just happens to have referral to another tooth. And that's where you get this root canal after root canal, trying to find out what the tooth is is the problem. Uh, so there's a lot of diagnostic dilemmas associated with it. Another common one is this incomplete tooth fracture um, and uh, burning mouth from tongue habits. And I'll go through each one of these a little bit more. So the possibility of an intracranial lesion. Um, this is a patient that we saw maxillary pain that gradually came on over a year ago, slight numbness in the maxilla. That's the only neurologic deficit that they had. Saw multiple physicians and dentists without diagnosed relief. Ultimately referred to one of our team members. We detected cranial nerve deficit, ordered an MR scan, and then found this large uh, lesion uh, brain tumor that was uh, compressing on the trigeminal nerve. So it does happen. It is something in the back of your head that we always worry about. We always try to make sure that we're confident in the physical diagnosis. But here's the most common one, myofascial pain. So it's a repetitive strain injury of the muscles associated with uh, regional pain, localized tender spots in the muscles, tender fascia reduces pain. So these tender spots are called trigger points. So the diagnostic criteria, pain over the region, localized tenderness. You can press on the pain. You can find the trigger points. They're pretty obvious, and most patients know where they are. You press on them, and it duplicates the pain. It's like, oh, okay, that really makes sense to the patient. makes sense to me. And, uh, and so in that case, uh, you can even alter the pain with palpation, spray and stretch, or even a trigger point injection in the muscle. 
it will take away the pain or at least most of the pain unless there are multiple trigger points. And it's the most common cause of chronic pain. And this afternoon at 5.30, I'll talk about uh, myofascial pain using the same model. So here's an example of a referral pattern. Here's the trigger point in the anterior temporalis, very commonly associated with tension-type headache in the temples. So it's not unusual. Of course, you're going to get a headache in the temple, but you'll also get referral pain to the maxillary teeth in some situations. And here's an example of the masseter muscle trigger point, and you get a referral pain to the broader jaw area and sometimes into the ear. And I had a patient that was uh, uh, a mother of a son, and I was treating the mother, and she was getting better. She had like, a lot of facial pain and headaches and, and neck pain and, and was improving. And she says, you know, my son, who is like 12 years old, has had chronic ear pain and he keeps missing school because of the ear pain. And, uh, and so we take him into the ear, nose, and throat, and they say, he doesn't have an ear pain. So then he doesn't have an ear infection. Nothing's wrong inside the ear, but he has this ear pain. And so, he, uh, so the principal then, because he was missing school, complained, I got this ear pain. He was missing school a lot. And so the principal and the teacher said, you know, What's going on with this, this boy? He's having problems with school. He doesn't like school or whatever. And so, they, so then they, and they, the mother said, well, he had a normal ear, ear exam. I don't know what's causing the pain. So they started thinking he was faking it, that he was uh, making this up in order because he hated school and didn't want to go to school. And so the mother was telling me the story about her son that was having all these problems with ear pain and wondered if I could examine him. So I came in, and he brought him in one day and examined him, and he had a classic trigger point right here in the masseter muscle. You press on it, it causes ear pain. I treated it with uh, stretching, with reducing oral habits. I put in a splint. Pain went away. Didn't have any pain after that at all. Never missed a day of school. So this is an example of somebody who just... Uh, you know, it was just an unusual ear pain that was causing the, and the types of consequences that occur with a misdiagnosis. Um, so here is also some other trigger points within the masseter muscle that refer to the teeth. Most of the time it just refers to the jaw, but occasionally it has this distant referral pattern. Preauricular earaches, maxillary posterior teeth, and some dental hypersensitivity. Now, also, there's a, the tooth often is a problem. So if they have tooth pain, you have to think, oh, it's a problem with the teeth. And so there's a variety of different uh, conditions that can cause pain. And, and the tooth is really a sensory end organ for pain. So the only innervation that comes from inside the tooth and pulp is pain. And so you can get a pulpitis. You can get an incomplete tooth fracture, which happens frequently. And, you know, example of my, myself, I had an incomplete tooth fracture on a second molar, and I bit down on something, I felt, oh, a sharp pain. But nothing happened. It didn't break off or anything like that, but it just sort of ached there for a little bit. And then after a while, you know, kept aching, persistent. Every time I bit down on it, I tapped it in a few areas, have bit down on a wooden stick, and it sort of uh, caused or replicated the pain. So I put a crown on it, and uh, it's been better ever since. And so um, you can get an incomplete tooth fracture, which is hard to diagnose. Of course, gingivitis from periodontal disease usually doesn't cause pain, but occasionally it can. Pulpitis from decay, of course, is the most common cause of tooth pain. And then periodontal ligament strain from repetitive trauma. Now, that's when somebody... I told the story this morning about the 81-year-old gentleman who was... Uh, uh, I was seeing his wife and his mother, or wife and his uh, daughter, for head and neck pain problems, and he always came around to visit. He was the vice president for a large paper company. He was uh, retired. And then he, after one visit, he came up to me and said, um, I wonder if you could help me too. I know you've helped your da my daughter and, and my wife. I've had a headache in the temples right here every day for the last 65 years. So he's 81. I said, you had a headache since you were 16 years of age? Yeah. I said, well, 
didn't you get treatment for it? He says, I have. I've been to 10 different doctors. I've tried all these medications. They always help a little bit, but it doesn't solve the problem, and I don't want to be on drugs my whole life. And so uh, I said, well, sure, I'm happy to evaluate. Well, as it turns out, make a sh long story short, he was holding his teeth together all the time. And uh, it was not clenching, per se, but his muscles had already been strained considerably, uh, and uh, that repetitive trauma on the muscle hit that threshold where it first was tender, then it was pain, causing his headaches constantly. When he stopped touching his teeth together through a variety of tricks and started stretching and, and rehabbing that muscle, the pain, he had no headaches for a week. And he came back to me, this was after the first visit, this is a second visit, he already had no pain for a whole week, and he was so angry, he says, why didn't, you know, he's the vice president for a, a large company in Minneapolis. Why didn't somebody just tell me to stop clenching my teeth and bring my teeth together? For 65 years, if they had told me that, I wouldn't have to suffer for 65 years. So there are sometimes there's very simple causes like that that you can find what it is and change it. And then the last one is uh, abscesses that often do come with uh, pulpitis from decay. Uh, the incomplete tooth fractures are very common, um, and it's basically the risk factor is any high force placed on a tooth, biting hard objects, occlusal interference, pain on biting, chewing. Uh, the easy test is to just bite on a wooden tongue blade to see if you can provoke the pain. So you bite on that particular tooth. Does it increase pain? Don't bite too hard, just enough to, to see what's going on because it may develop into a complete fracture if not treated with a crown or an orthodontic band. Periodontal ligament strain is something that happens frequently uh, with patients with clenching habits or oral habits. The teeth, which is the ligament that uh, surrounds the tooth and holds the tooth into the bone, becomes inflamed and sensitive. And you, again, you can tap on the tooth to show tenderness. Usually there's multiple teeth that have a kind of a dull, achy pain. And treatment occurs with a splint or change in habits. No, well, it was a little off because I changed my slides from okay. dimensions. So these are the ligaments right here. So they're highly innervated by the trigeminal nerve. They go up here and they go all the way up here and here. So they're supposed to be a little bit, a little bit off. So osteolitis, osteomyelitis of the jawbone can occur too, particularly with recent fractures or surgery of the bone. And uh, I don't want to go into these in too much detail. And then the possibility of candidiasis, which is uh, you get a burning mouth, burning tongue, associated with a yeast infection. And this uh, risk factors for this, uh, you get hypersensitivity, hyperinnervation, even after resolution, unfortunately. Overuse of antibiotics, a weak immune system, regular estrogen, birth control pills, hormone replacements, poor oral hygiene, high sugar diet often leads to this. So the combination of those things. And this may, candidiasis has sometimes a systemic effect too. And you can have many other complaints. And then sinusitis, you mentioned sinus, sinus problems earlier. Um, of course, there are a lot of risk factors here too um, that can play a role. Headache and pressure, stuffy nose, post-nasal drainage, feeling ill, uh, bad breath, bad taste, and upper teeth sensitivity, so within the sinuses. And then there's neuropathic pain, and I don't, can't get into all these in detail, but there's both continuous nerve pain and paroxysmal related to tic dolorue or trigeminal neuralgia. But it can occur in a variety of other nerves in the face too. And of course, continuous neurologies can be post-herpetic, traumatic, or post-surgical, even post-root canals. So root canals can result in sometimes neuropathic pain. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it's a, it's a bear to manage. So paroxysmal neuralgias, pain is sharp, paroxysmal, electric-like stabbing, and this generally can be improved pretty well with uh, Tegretol or other anticonvulsants. 
And then you have migraine headaches, which can also affect the oral facial area. And in this case, what I have found is that dietary factors play a significant role in migraine headaches. And we know diet can trigger a headache, but changes in diet are, can dramatically improve a migraine type of headache. Um, so we often consider an elimination diet to try to figure out what factors, what dietary factors are playing a role in triggering migraines. And then the jaw joint. Now everybody says TMJ. Actually, it's not a very common cause of pain, although it can be. It causes clicking, popping. And here's a normal joint uh, locking within the jaw. And you can see that uh, here's the condyle, here's the articular disc, the articular eminence, the lateral pterygoid muscle. What the problem here occurs when the disc gets out of place or if there's too much strain placed on the posterior attachment. Um, and here is a disc disorder with reduction, uh, reciprocal clicking that is reduced with uh, repositioning of the jaw. So when you have a clicking jaw or intermittent locking, you open the jaw, let it click, and then close the jaw in a forward position. So when you bring the jaw and put it forward right here, it will eliminate the clicking, and you know, even without taking an MR scan, that there's a, a anterior disc displacement. Um, and stage two leads to intermittent locking, and you range of motion is normal, with or without pain or tenderness in the joint. And these are often asymptomatic. You don't have pain associated with in most situations. But some, the pain can cause, be caused in the joint. And then you have a with reduction, stage one or two. You can see the disc out of place here. This is an MR scan that shows this. And you can see the posterior attachment is lit up here, suggesting some inflammation. Um, and then you have the, the next stage, which is stage three or four, where the disc is permanently displaced forward. This interferes with your normal opening because of the jaws trying to translate forward, interferes with the posterior attachment here. And there's usually a deviation to one side, uh, and you usually have pain associated with this diagnosis. And here is a showing an MR scan of a disc in a forward position. You can see the flattening of the condyle also. And you can see effusion within the posterior attachment right here. And then the last stage, of course, is degenerative joint disease, where there's what I explain to patients, and I even have patients who are 18 years old with this, that they, it's remodeling. The joint does remodel to change its shape and form to accommodate the disc being displaced forward. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a pathology that you need to go in surgically and remove. In most cases, we treat these non-surgically. And it does show, of course, some changes, flattening of the condyle. You can see sometimes erosion, sometimes perforation of the disc, osteophytes. Uh, range of motion can be normal. Of course, crepitus grating. And I had a kind of a funny story with my brother who... Uh, he uh, called me up. You know, he knows I do TMJ work, and he called me up. He says, you know, I'm having some pain in my ear, and I can't open my jaw. What, it, what is it? And I said, oh, was it, was it clicking before, and then it went to locking? He said, yes, yes, that's what happened. I said, well, you better draw. He lives on the eastern side of Wisconsin. I'm in Minneapolis, about a five-hour drive, so you should come maybe see me visit, you know, a little bit. Uh, he never comes to visit. I always have to go see him so because all the rest of my family's there. But he, so I said, well, what do you do for these? Well, we, we work on exercises, physical therapy. We reduce the habits. We really work on rehabilitating the muscles and joints to try to return it back to normal. And so I told him this over the phone, five-minute, ten-minute conversation. Didn't hear from him again. So the next summer, this was like in December, and the next summer I visited him. I said, whatever happened to your jaw problem? You know, that, was, that could be a big problem. You should have come and seen me, da-da-da. And uh, he says, Jim, I just worked it out. What do you mean you worked it out? How can you just work out your joint? You know, you're a disc displacement. 
He says, I just gently stretched it out over time. I did just what you said. I took the pressure off of it. I didn't have any oral habits. And so I said, well, let me look at it. So I examined him, completely normal. I mean, he had a normal range of motion. He had no tenderness in the joint. There was no noise. What happened to that disc? And of course, I don't know. I never took an MR scan. But I assume what happened was there a positive remodeling in the joint. He encouraged what he needed to do. The disc is a fibrocartilage. It's flexible. It's, it's malleable. It can change in shape and form and accommodate to situations. And that's why we tried as much as possible to avoid a surgical procedure. So case, another case here is, let's see. Okay, this is what we did with this case. So this patient turned out, remember he had uh, tooth pain, multiple teeth, persistent jaw pain, headaches. It came on months after divorce bell. So what would you do? So this was a periodontal ligament sensitivity, also had myofascial pain and tension type headache. They're basically the same thing, tension type headache and myofascial pain. The characteristics are exactly the same. Um, but, you know, people, the, the ICD-10 and 9 codes like to use a, a headache diagnosis. So what we did, we put a splint in, we did oral habit reversal training again with treatment, and we used treatment with a muscle relaxant at night for a couple weeks, and the jaw pain went down, the tooth pain went away. So relatively quickly, just taking the strain off the situation. So here's another case. How much time do we have here? Okay, so we have about 15 minutes. So Franny Glenn Postal, this is a 33-year-old female postal worker presented with pain in the teeth on the mandible right side ever since a root canal number 30. Pain progressed over the whole side of the jaw to the lower teeth, the teeth were then extracted, patient went downhill from there. Pain now is described as severe, constant pain, interferes much of their life, she's angry, depressed, seeking litigation against the dentist, is on long-term opioids, antidepressants, she wants a cure. So, Panorex showed the missing teeth, but no pathology. No caries, no periodontal problems, a little bit of gingivitis, Mandibular right teeth were tender to tapping, both with biting and light touch. Gingival area and extractions sensitive to light touch, normal reaction to testing. So muscles and joints were also tender. So what do we do in this situation? Complex chronic pain patient. So sometimes patients get, you know, this, it escalates. The pain problem becomes so devastating to their lives that they blame anybody and everybody for the problem and they want a cure right now. And so I woke up one day and this was on the front page of the newspaper. This is kind of like the dentist's nightmare, by the way. Man abducts dentist, unfortunately, then killed himself. Years of pain, blamed for osteotaking suicide. You read the article, this young guy went to the dentist, had a filling or a crown done on one of his back teeth, jaw strained, had started developing jaw pain. Patient was evidently intense. I didn't see this patient, by the way. But developed jaw pain, headaches, neck pain, couldn't tolerate it anymore, and uh, was depressed also uh, and decided that he wanted to make sure the dentist knew that he caused his pain. It was really unfortunate circumstance. So he developed, after years of suffering on cestal treatment, he did, took his dentist and hostage and the patients, let the patients go and then he committed suicide. So this is the type of thing, these are serious problems. And we cannot take them lightly. We really need to be able to identify and work with the patient on managing these uh, appropriately. So the evaluation decisions that we do is we tr identify the problem list. Problem list includes both the diagnosis and the contributing factors, these risk factors that play a role. We decide, is this simple complex, and then we do, if it's complex, we sometimes decide that we don't treat, and we use a team of clinicians. But if it is simple, we can usually treat right now. And I'll go through some of the strategies on doing that. So the complete problem list includes not just the diagnoses, but all these contributing factors in each area of a person's life. And I don't have time to really go through that right now. But in 
Franny's case, distinguishing simple from complex, she had multiple diagnoses, persistent pain, significant emotional problems, frequent use of health care, daily oral habits and lifestyle. She needs a full team approach to manage her. And so in some cases, we do not even begin to treat because the pain in locking is severe enough to affect function and quality of life, or we, don't, we just do self-care, um, and there's evidence of progression of persistence and patient desired treatment. So in some cases, we just do self-management if it's a simple case. Um, but in some cases, we defer treatment. We don't go into treating the patient now because there are too many factors that are going to lead to treatment failure. We want to succeed with the patient. We want to set the patient up for success. And so there are certain things like primary chemical dependency, primary psychiatric disorder, significant litigation, patient overwhelmed with other concerns, or the patient's not motivated. And we help the patients self-select themselves out of treatment. And so in doing this, um, like for instance, a good example of that is with significant litigation. So I'll tell a patient who is in litigation due to the motor vehicle accident that may have initiated the problem. I said, well, you know, if you come through our clinic, we're going to manage you, reduce the cause of the pain, whatever's causing it to continue, and you're going to have no pain. You better solve the litigation first, because if you come to the litigation and there's no pain, it's not going to look very good for your settlement. So patients then self-select themselves out of treatment. And I, of course, write the report and all the things that need to be done, but they, they're not in treatment. They get the litigation settled. They have a lot of pain. Whatever they get, they get. Then they come back, and I make sure that they leave in enough funding to cover our program, and so that we treat them, the pain gets better, and everything like that. And so in those ways, you kind of use a reverse psychology to help them reduce and self-select themselves out of care. So sometimes we do not proceed with a management program. So when we do, we always treat with interdisciplinary team. We use these transformative clinical paradigms, individualized self-management. We use a broad-based biopsychosocial medical model and human systems theory and within a team. So we really work together to manage these types of complicated patients. And so what did we do with this particular patient? Well, this was a very complex patient. It's an intractable pain right now. Neuropathic pain of the right mandibular nerve, myofascial, TMJ, arthralgia. We can generally help resolve these, but when you have neuropathic pain, typically it's very hard to eliminate the pain. They're always going to have some pain. And so the question is, how do we turn the volume down on the pain? And in this case, we did a rehab team. We did use uh, gabapentin, nerve blocks, splints, physical therapy. We managed all the muscle and joint problems, which sometimes usually can be resolved. Um, she had improvement, but not resolution in three to six months. Uh, litigation was still proceeding. She want, wanted to continue that and still. If somebody says, yes, I still want care despite the litigation, I take them for the word that this is more important than the litigation and they're not just... It, you know, I'm just one of five clinicians they're seeing to try to boost up their, their settlement. Get the Pardon? Get the yes, yes. I mean, that's something. I mean, I have about 10 patients on long-term opioids because they function so much better on opioids. But opioids, I'm going to talk about that in, in a minute. I, don't, I know I, I'm kind of running short a little bit on time here. See, we started at 10, 10.30, so we have till 11.30, yeah. So I'll talk about opioids in a second because that's a big issue uh, within these patients. So the, really the take-home message here is that we have to do a transformative care model to improve patient outcomes. That includes biomedical treatments, and we use lots of splints, medications, injections, surgery in some situations. All can have a positive effect, but we have to integrate it with self-management training. And I tell the patients, 80% of your success is based on what you do, and I have about 20%, and I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to teach you what to do, but you have to do it. Are you willing to do that? I ask them that, are you willing to do that? And if they say, well, I don't know, nobody says that, but if they did, 
I'll say, well, you know, the outcome's going to be less. You know, the, po the prognosis is going to be less. But most people say, yes, I want to know what's causing, what can I do for this? Then you have to actually, then you're, in a, you're stuck, because then you have to train them. You have to spend time with them. And so that's why you have a really nice team around, and we've developed these online training programs, which hopefully will help a little bit. Yes? Yeah, with regard to the jaw, the most important thing is I tell patients, and they are always shocked when I say this, okay, I want you to never touch your teeth together again the rest of your life. And they say, what? What do you mean? I have to eat. And I said, well, yeah, even when you're eating, there's food in between your teeth. But other than eating, never touch your teeth. Well, how do I do that? And most patients aren't aware of their, the fact that they're clenching. And so then I say, well, just keep your tongue up, like when you say the word the, the, the. The TH, that's where your tongue should be gently resting. T should never touch during the day. And by being that extreme in my request, they get the point. Then the next time they come, he says, well, have you ever touched your teeth together? Yeah, I do it all the time. And so they, but that's great that you do it all the time because you're now noticing the habit that you need to change. Then we do exercises. We do uh, different types of stretching exercises. We do stretching, posture, relaxation. We do both local exercises for the head, neck, and jaw, but general exercise. We try to get them involved in yoga, or aerobic conditioning program, so that it in decreases that central sensitization. We teach them calming practices, meditations, self-hypnosis, uh, relaxation techniques. So we do a variety of different things with them. Um, and, it's, and it depends on the contributing factors or those risk factors that they have. We try to boost their protective factors and reduce the risk factors that play a role. So that's kind of in a nutshell. And I'm happy to talk to you more. And this afternoon when I talk, I'll talk a lot more about some of the strategies that we use. So here's another case of a painful lockjaw, 26-year-old female presented with pain in the teeth. This is like my brother, third molar extraction. Difficult time opening the mouth, had clicking in the past, now has none. Pain is described as constant dull aching. Everything looks good on the x-rays of the teeth. Uh, there's a little bit of caries, but nothing that would cause pain. All the, everything was normal in the teeth. The muscles were tender, joint, the 26 millimeter range of motion. And so this was a jaw strain, basically, as it turns out. So a jaw, joint or muscle sprain strain, jams, is first, second, and third degree. And uh, this occurs in, the, in all joints or muscles within the body. So this is the most, these are the two most common, where you have slight functional limitation, whereas here you have total separation of the muscles and ligaments. And I'm just going to a brief strategy for how to treat jaw muscle strain that's in the, in the jaw. So in this particular case, she had an acute locking within the joints. I went over that already. Um, here's an MR scan of it. And uh, so here's the protocol that we use. We use a speed to treat protocol. With any type of musculoskeletal acute injury, you gotta mobilize. You have to con continue using it very carefully so that they gain function as quickly as possible. You give exercise, I'll go through these for the jaw, you give analgesics, and you treat it. The pain does not resolve because of risk factors that are going on. Uh, you, you use a chronic pain protocol, you use transformative care, testing, training, treatment, and a team. So here's the speed to treat. So the acronym is MEET, movement, exercise, analgesic treatment versus third degree injuries where you really want to rest it. You don't want to rest a stage one or two injury. You want to encourage gentle movement, uh, some gentle stretching exercises. You want to use analgesics, usually NSAIDs or ibuprofen. I don't use opioids at this point. And you treat it. And there are treatments uh, within the jaws. We use a quick splint that goes into the jaw and, and really s separates the teeth, reduces the strain, and protects the muscles and joints. So let me go through each one of these. Movement, 
is a return to normal movement with gentle use of the exercise, but we also not abnormal movement. So I just have a, a one minute, couple minutes left. Reduce oral habits and improve with the end position or the the position of the jaw. Exercise the jaw. This includes stretching, jaw joint rotation, jaw relaxation, and practicing about six times a day. So really get involved in getting that jaw functioning back to normal. Analgesics, I typically use ibuprofen, or it could be topical analgesics or hydrotherapy. Heat or ice on the area really helps relax it, provide counter-stimulation. And should I use opioids? Well, we don't use a lot of opioids in our clinic, uh, although they do show short-term relief of musculoskeletal pain. They're found to be better than placebo for short-term short in a systematic review. And most doctors agree 42% of workers with neck and back pain received opioids at the first visit. However, 38% were still on opioids at one year. Well, that tells you a lot just there. And opioids and NSAIDs, here's a systematic review comparing the two. Look at the systematic review. The forest plot shows that they're, the diamond shows that it's really, they're about equal in terms of pain efficacy. But you don't get the euphoria with NSAIDs. You get a euphoria feeling really, really good with opioids, and that's the thing that gets people going. And then uh, there are a lot of side effects with opioids, too, um, and addiction, and you know a little bit about it. So the last thing is a, is a treatment. So the quick splint physical therapy are very helpful uh, treatment to kind of get the range of motion back to protect the jaw. This can be done in any medical or dental office. It's very easy to do. There are kits to do this uh, if you go to quicksplint.com. Uh, so if you see this, all emergency rooms should have something like this just to protect the jaw for in, in the case of an acute jaw strain sprain. So the last thing is just transformative care. This is what we encourage, make sure that we do in addition to treatment, that we really train the patient on what they need to do. We test for risk factors, we train, and we usually use a team to do that. Uh, it's a triple win, improves quality, better outcomes, and lower cost of care. And if you're interested in more on this particular topic, I have a free course. It's a 22 hours of CME credit, a uh, little bit of charge for CME credit if you want that. Otherwise, it's free. It's on Coursera.org, and just search pain. It's one of these MOOC courses that's available through the University of Minnesota. And most of our clinicians within our clinic uh, give a little talk on different topics within that. So with that, I'll just uh, finish there, and I appreciate your attention. Sorry I went over a few minutes, um, but I'm very open to any questions or comments at this point. Thank you. Thank you.